You're listening to the last session of the day with the Sight Guys. Hi everyone, welcome back to the last session of the day with the Sight Guys. Uh, my name is Timothy Meyer, joined as always with Dr. Constantine Lukin. Um, today, we're, we're going to talk um, about something not, not so clinical today. Um, I want to pick Dr. Lukin's brain a little bit about how he got his, his, his private practice started. Um, so right off the bat, Constantine, sure. tell me. Sure. So, um, I mean, do we, do we have like a day to talk about this or do we just have like <laughs> our usual 20 minutes? Um, summary I, cliff notes. Some summary cliff notes. The cliff notes are, uh, didn't really know what to do when I was younger, followed my footsteps of the family who are all computer scientists, went to a local state university here. Anybody from the Northeast potentially knows SUNY at Stony Brook, it's in Long Island. Uh, <clears throat> started taking computer science classes, got C's, um, watched watched a movie. Uh, that, what was it called? The uh, Holy Moly. Uh, when the guy's a computer scientist and then gets hypnotized and then um, start acting like he doesn't care anymore. Office space. Oh, For some of office, space. office space. So watch that uh, at late at night, like had my first and only panic attack of my life, like literally panic attack, had to leave my little room at Stony Brook just to get some fresh air. Um, I don't know, probably had like a six pack uh, you know, and, and have hung over the next morning, went to my, I went to honors college, Stony Brook. So you, you actually had like a dedicated guidance counselor for lack of a better word. And I said, I can't do this. This is not for me. So I'm either going to medical school or I'm going to, uh, uh, become a psychologist. And then he, and the guidance counselor goes like, I have no idea. I was like, all right, that's been helpful. Thanks. And then I go to like, a, <clears throat> I was part of a psychology lab and I went to, to the psychologist and it was like trying to talk through either phys being a physician, an MD, going into industrial organizational or clinical psychology. And she go and after listening to like, for me, go on for a half hour, she was like, I have no idea. Uh, the only thing I can tell you is that when you spoke about being a physician, you were kind of blah about it. When I heard you speak about being an IO psychologist is like even less. When I heard you speak about being a clinical psychologist, I could see how that much excited you. So I said, I have my, I have my decision. So I get into, get into, um, uh, uh, the program here at FDU. Uh, and then I figured right away, like working in a hospital or a clinic or research is really not for me. Um, I kind of always knew that I wanted to have a private practice to try to craft it in a way that's most effective uh, for delivering clinical care. Yada, 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 through the seven years that I was in graduate school, every year I externed at a private practice either working in a private practice, seeing patients in a private practice, being an office manager in a private practice, washing floors in a private practice. It really didn't matter what it was. I kind of wanted to learn how, how you do it from like, where do you take out the garbage to how you build to obviously how you become a clinician. So I did that for seven years. Um, did my postdoc also in a private practice. <clears throat> And then just kind of decided my wife and I used to live in Brooklyn Heights at that time. And um, I thought, and I was doing my postdoc in Hoboken. So mm -hmm. I decided, you know, listen, I don't know much about Hoboken, but it seems like a nice town. Let, let me try to open up kind of my own place, see, see if it takes off. And, you know, I, Hoboken appeared to be a really great spot because once you kind of see one or two people, 
three people, right? Like, and if you're relatively good, especially in private practice, it's, I always like to call it cutthroat because you only get paid only if you see people and you only see people if they think you're worth it, especially if you're an out of network provider, as I was trying to set up the practice. Um, and then I noticed that obviously you can't sustain yourself by seeing five people because it's just financially not, not, not possible. Uh, thankfully, my wife at the time, who's the, as obviously you know, Tim here, she's the co-director here. She had a stable job, like in a hospital, a research, the whole nine yards. So we could kind of rely during that time on her salary. It, it, it wasn't much, but we were kind of, we were able to make, to make do. And then, you know, once you know, six months had passed, 12 months has passed, got, got a basic website going, um, yada, yada, yada. I got more patients, got a little bit more money. So I was able to, instead of just have the website, get somebody to actually craft it so that it's more visible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Once that, that happened only through word of mouth, um, I had somebody who reached out who said like, oh, I'd like to see uh, some people, some clients part-time. I work in a hospital or in academia, but just want to do a little bit of part-time. So thankfully at that time, I already had some overflow of clients. Um, and then that person joined. Uh, <clears throat> and then it was really more, since one person joined, we had a little bit more money to spend. So then we uh, <clears throat> started to do, what I started to do is really just cold calling and seeing if anybody um, like from another private practice or a physician, neurologist, psychiatrist would be open for me to stopping by or buying him dinner, mm -hmm. you know, just to kind of get a sense who's out there. Hoboken, as you know, is it's a relatively small town. So a lot of people know each other. So, so once you kind of hustle and get yourself out there and just know, just so that people know, obviously that knowledge has to be backed by the fact that you're good because other people can refer to you all they want, but if you can't sustain a caseload, people leave, like, you know, that connection gets lost. So it's really, you know, my, my thing has always been like, you have to, you have to have two hats on all the time. And also at the same time, talk about a dialectic, separate them all the time, because you have to be a clinician that nothing is more important for that 45 minutes or an hour than the patient that's in front of you. And at the same time, you have to think about like how to sustain a practice. Remember, these are for, for profit practices. So in order to be able to maintain it, there also has to be a profit made. So that ability, right, like not to look at patients in a litigious sort of a way, because that takes away from care, but also being able to be mindful of how money is spent uh, is the trick. And I feel like a lot of people, uh, a lot of clinicians are, 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 have a hard time. They either are too litigious and then kind of the clinical care gets lost. And then I was speaking to somebody recently that in, in, in his industry, as it relates to uh, clients and patients, they call them acquisitions. And, and like, we were like, we were, I was like, patients? And he goes like, acquisitions. I was like, patients? No, no. I was like, I think we're, we're losing each other here because I think we're speaking a different language here. I mean, I know from that sort of terminology, I kind of understood where that organization is leading and, and how they, they treat individuals. So being able to carry those two hats effectively so it doesn't uh, cost um, you, you know, still not being a great clinician and at the same time making it functionally so that the practice runs is, is really the trick. So. Uh, did did you ever work for someone not in an internship externship uh, school sort of situation um i worked 
for somebody during postdoc. Um, and you know, it was an, it was an okay experience overall, not necessarily because I worked for somebody and just to kind of put this, uh, you know, maybe put this out there. It wasn't even my idea to have my own thing. I just wanted to be a part of something that I could believe in and that I could see that I had some level of autonomy of how to practice and also had some input about how it runs. I did not feel like that there. Uh, and I didn't really feel like the, the other practices that I was a part of, some were more like that, some were less like that. So that really wasn't a function of necessarily me thinking, oh my God, always just wanted to have my own thing. I want to be a dictator. I want to tell people what to do. That really wasn't the case. I really wanted to be able to craft, like to, I guess, to embody wearing those two hats effectively, hmm. Hmm. Uh, which I really haven't seen too much. I've seen some great clinician do it very well. And I know, I know a lot of clinicians that do it very poorly. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, so, so you really kind of like just hit the ground running as best as, well, maybe, maybe crawling than walking, than running. <laughs> but you know, it, it, I mean, it sounds to me and, and I didn't know you at this time, right. but it, it sounds like you were like, all right, this is what I want to do. So, all right, I guess I'll grab an office and you know, work, work through word of mouth and, you know, connect with other people, get my name out there and kind of like very slowly kind of like patients trickled in, they sort of whatever word of mouth referrals are a thing they built up and then slowly, but surely it kind of turned into what it is now. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, again, that, that first, I would say three or four years where it really was like a plateau. It was like basically myself working like a dog. Uh, and on top of working like a dog, then working another full-time job of connecting mm. with other providers. So, you know, you know, you pro as you know, um, you know, I value quality of life mm -hmm. because I didn't do a good job doing it myself, mm -hmm. uh, at, at least during that period of time. So, you know, if, if I could redo something from that part was to kind of go a little slower. Mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. you know you know a lot of people uh, are you know are um, amazed probably would be the right word to go that in really like in seven years six years you know we went from one clinician to like as you and I talked earlier close to 30 people you know five locations opening a, a sixth one so from that point of view you know if I could if I could go back six seven years and give myself a message I would probably say you, you're on the right track just like, you know, you're not going to lose much by waiting an extra two to three years. Yeah. Like, like, you know, I, I guess if, if I'm just putting myself in your shoes at that point, you know, kind of going off on your own and just starting from the ground up, that's, uh, it's really exciting. And quite frankly, that's, it's, 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 it, it seems kind of risky. <laughs> it's very, it's very risky uh, and very risky. And I imagine that in the in the first year or two, three, whatever you want to call it, if I were in your shoes, I would be, I would be pretty nervous. Yeah, it's it's. Um, I guess my my anxiety, or my worries, to some degree. I don't want to make it sound like I, there was calm, cool, and collected during this time. So you could ask, you could ask Paula, my wife. That wasn't the case. But but what I can tell you that was helpful to me. I did spend basically. 10 years working, as I said, from mopping floors, which was actually a true statement, 
to being an office manager, to being a clinician, to dealing with insurance company, to doing authorizations, you know, to work in a variety of different settings from inpatient to outpatient, you know, just to kind of get that, get that experience in terms of how, how to do it. So I did have at least like 10 years of experience being in someone else's private practice, be it for a short period of time to kind of get a sense. So I had that experience behind me and, and, and also one thing I, I could kind of relate, you know, when people say they're in the zone or they kind of have this internal confidence that they might not know what they're doing, but it's something that they need to be doing. I don't, you know, so it, it was kind of like that. Like I couldn't envision doing anything else. You know, I, I always try to think about like, if I lived in a different part of the world that, that the mental health wasn't as developed or not paid attention to as much, I didn't know what I would do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, you, you know, what, one big thing I think is, you know, in, in, in school, you learn all, all of these clinical skills and, you know, like learn how to treat and modalities and all this sort of stuff. And, and really after school, you learn more through, through more trainings, but you know, there, there's really no, um, guidance or, uh, I don't know, um, class that goes into sort of like, okay, like if you want to be a private practice practitioner, how do you do it? And, and I think a lot of people leave grad school um, with that idea in mind of like, oh, I'd really love to work at or be at or have my own private practice. But um, it, it, it really takes, uh, to, to your story, it takes being, being at them, um, understanding, working at them, grinding, starting with nothing, crawling, then barely walking, and then, and then getting there. Um, yeah. so, so definitely really daunting. I think, and um, and also incredibly worth it. It's incredibly worth it. It's ex- it's. I mean, it's all the things that you just said. It's very. It's very. <clears throat> you, as I said, if you do not have that, if a person doesn't have that innate confidence, I don't know what else I would be doing. Then it's unlikely going to be successful. Yeah, because it is an enormous amount of information that takes years to learn from the nitty gritty in terms of coding to getting it off, like just so many intricacies that I, unless you have that innate feeling like, I don't know what else to do, like this is the only thing I can think of, then, you know, not to say that I wouldn't do it, but I just would acknowledge that that might be a difficult road. Absolutely. And wearing those two hats it's it, it's difficult right like wearing your business owner hat and and your clinician hat like you said before um it it can definitely be tricky very tricky very tricky because again i a lot of people attempt to to wear them right but if you wear you know only clinical you know then then it's hard to maintain a practice because as you know as everybody knows to have an office like you and i sitting in it costs money so it doesn't come out of thin air right Unfortunately, what I see a lot, um, I guess, as, as a side, one person who's like a business person, you, that person and I were having a conversation, they're just telling how I do things, how I, how I run it. And, and, and she, she gave me the biggest compliment. She goes like, oh, you're a terrible businessman. You know, and, and right. And I was like, uh, and I thought about it. And, and then I thought, oh, it's a great compliment. Because basically what she's saying, instead of grabbing all the money and, and running with it, reinvest in terms of like clinicians, happy clinicians, better services, right? Like, so it's for, I guess her point was like, you just like wasting money where you don't need to. And, and I was like, I didn't say anything, but then I reflected on it. I was like, no, that's a, that's a huge compliment to me, 
because like, I, I think that's the only way to do it. I always, you know, not to turn up too much clinical, but I always try to embody one of the DBT principles about like where you, you're trying to like honor your needs, honor someone else's needs and kind of embrace that there's a transactional element to it. Uh, that is how I approach building this practice is that every one of those, all of those three things have to be firing on all cylinders. The other people that work here have to be satisfied. There has to be a transaction between everybody that makes sense. And I also have to honor my needs, right? If those three things are somewhat met or going to mount met, then everyone's happy. If there's a disbalance, let's say if somebody's too litigious or too greedy, people are not happy, then I don't know where you're going with this. Like if it's like too clinical with no oversight, it can't function. And if it can't function, then people don't get to enjoy nice things that, that empower them to see people, you know, in the most effective way, let's say. So, so what's the solution? Get worse furniture, not have trainings? Like, well, that, that's, not, that, that's not a solution. <laughs> you know, what, where's the solution? So to me, I've kind of learned from my younger self where I was like, go, go, go. Now it's just, it's, it's just I try to do it just slower slower, more methodical, more like checking in with everybody. Where are you? Are you happy? Not happy? Can we adjust? Can we adjust within reason? You know, and I'm, you know, more than happy to have sort of those conversation to embody those three principles. Yeah. And listen, it, it's, it, it's a tough balance to strike. And, and it, and it sounds like you have your head wrapped pretty, pretty solidly around it. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, more so right now on November 23rd, 2021 than November 23rd, 2014, but yes. <laughs> and I mean, but also, I, I guess I'll just add one, one more piece is, you know, th this is ever evolving, you know, you and I get together every single week and we talk, we talk about, you know, th these sorts of things and, and things change and, and you have to adapt and, and, and it's always changing, but being ahead of curves and all that sort of stuff, it's, um, it's like it's like three full-time jobs. <laughs> it is like it is like three full-time jobs and and interestingly enough that you just right before we jumped on I was speaking to one of the clinicians here who's helping kind of write down some of the operations and she asked me kind of the same kind of like what you said like how the hell do you do all this? It sounds like an enormous amount of work and I guess what I said is like well it's a lot easier now that I have wonderful people that 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 work with me also that are interested and motivated to do this work because they feel like they want to be part of it. Like that makes it so much easier. Like one thing I was thinking about as we're growing is to have some sort of like clinical board of directors. Right. Like, for instance, somebody like yourself, myself, maybe Ami and some other clinicians here, just because I, I think it would be worth well worth it to have, a, you know, a company or company of people that think in a similar way, but also challenge each other to grow as individuals and obviously, you know, the practice as well. Yeah. And well, one last thing I'll say, I, I think that's the best part about being a part of a group practice like this. Um, having like-minded people who, right. who, who you bounce ideas off of clinically, you know, business-wise and otherwise. Um, I, I think there's a huge, huge, huge strength to being a part of a group. Yeah, there is. And, and it's and like, again, as we touched upon before, it's fun. Like I look forward to our conversations. I look forward speaking to Gabby, who's helping us with kind of like intake and outreach. It's fun. It's rejuvenating conversations. We, you know, you you obviously know this is you interview all the people as well. Like, what what is the most common reason people want to join this practice or just practices in general? Being lonely, being alone. It's grating and it's tiring. It's not interesting. They want to be part of a system that already works. 
So more and more, that is one of the, you know, hopefully people don't say it the first thing, but one of the first things that I hear. Yep, ab absolutely. So I guess I just want to say thanks for, for, <laughs> for pulling back the curtain of your own brain and, and how the heck you got this thing started and what you've been, what you've done and what, and what you've been doing, what we've been doing. Um, and I don't know, hopefully if anyone, if anyone's ever interested in this, I hope they were able to take some stuff and, you know, and run from, with it <laughs> and run with it from your inside. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and just as a, in a way, as a teaser, like, I mean, you know, Tim and I were talking about potentially getting something going where we could, you know, help anybody who's interested to try to develop something like, like this somewhere else in the country, if they're so interested. So yeah, feel free to reach out as we're kind of developing this program to put some of this information out there to help people, you know, build their own practices. Awesome. Constantine, thanks again. <laughs> no worries. Thanks, anytime. Thanks for all the insight. And thank you all for tuning in. Uh, we are the last session of the day with the site guys, and we will, uh, you'll be hearing from us again soon. Yeah. Thanks so much guys. Bye. Thank you for tuning in this week. As always, we hope that you enjoyed the show and please make sure to subscribe. We love to interact with our listeners. If you have something you'd like to comment on, ask us about, or hope to hear on the show, please message us on Facebook or Twitter at last session of the day with the site guys, or send us an email at lastsessionotd at lukeandcenter.com. Hope to hear from you soon and tune in next week for another engaging episode. This has been the last session of the day with the site guys. See you next time.